Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. First show of the year coming to you live from 2023. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. Will Foxley. We're here going to get you up to speed on all that's going on on Tuesday. All right, let's go. SBF time. You guys ready? SBF appearing in court today, 2 p.m. Eastern. Wall Street Journal reporting that he's expected to submit a not guilty plea. And also his lawyers are asking the court to conceal the identities of those folks who signed his big old $250 million bail bond. Crazy stuff out of the SBF trial. I'm sure we'll see more and more of this in the coming weeks. Welcome back, Wendy. I think I heard a sigh out of you. That's awesome. Your thoughts. Happy New Year. <laughs> Sending everybody who is listening and watching love, light, and abundance because we all need a little bit of abundance, especially when we hear stuff like this. Obviously, Sam is going to enter a not guilty or he's going to state that he's not guilty because everybody says that they're not guilty. Why? Of course, why would he say he's guilty? Even though we have these beautiful things called blockchain analytics that show exactly what happened. But anyways, 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 I digress. Um, as far as these two people's names being um, redacted, I think that they definitely should be public. We should know who is on his side, who is on his team. At the end of the day, all of the FTX creditors' names are going to be posted publicly because of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So we should be playing fair here. It's just very upsetting to see, to hear, and hopefully the courts do their job properly. But I do not have very much faith in them at all. Will... Yeah, I'll pick up where you just dropped off right there. And I think it would be nice to know who these people are. But at the same time, there is a lot of threats against these people's physical safety. And whoever is involved in co-signing the bail here, they did not commit the fraud that SBF did and FTX did. So I think they do have some maybe like an argument towards uh, anonymity. We don't quite know that yet. So we'll see what the judge rules. But according to SBF's lawyers who submitted this application for their names not to be unsealed, they said, we have received a steady stream of threatening correspondence, including communications expressing a desire that they suffer physical harm. Consequently, there is a serious concern, a cause for concern that the two additional sureties would face similar intrusions on their privacy as well as threats and harassment 
if their names appear unredacted on the bonds, their identities are otherwise publicly disclosed. And I think that's a pretty fair argument, like physical safety at some point does become more important than necessarily just knowing whose name this is. On the other side, Wendy, I do see see your point, right? In chapter 11 bankruptcy, a lot of these creditors and people who are just not whole, they're going to have their names leaked. So why can't people who are an SBF's team have their names out in the open as well? Zach, I'll boot it over to you for your take. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And I think people want to know who's in his corner to this large degree. It's a kind of a mystery here in the case, right? Say 250 million, you got to put up 10 to 15%. That's still 25 million bucks. And we talked about this last week or whenever we were last on, you know, the value of his parents' home is said to be something like 4 million, right? So there's sort of 20 million that someone, two people, still unknown, have staked here on behalf of Sam Bankman Fried. And it, it, it is something that people genuinely want to know. And it is going to be a mystery potentially if these do get sealed. But I don't know. I'll toss it to Wendy. I saw her itching to go in. Again, I just think that if we're playing fair, of, if we're operating on a level playing field, that we do need to know these names. Yes, these people do have a large amount of capital, but what about all the creditors that have large and small amounts of capital? Their names or private information is going to be there. I'm just really sick of seeing the elites and seeing people with power, influence, and money, you know, essentially win these types of things when a lot of other people are hurt in the process. Let's face it, he scammed a lot of people. He lied about a lot of things, allegedly. It's just really not fair to retail for them to keep getting drugged through all of this time and time again, especially when our regulators have done essentially nothing to protect retail over this time. So I'm sorry, guys, I got to stick with my stick by my guns here. And if it's good for one, it's good for all. I will say that we don't quite know what's happening with the chapter 11 names yet. In, in the Celsius network, chapter 11, we did see that a lot of names were unsealed and that was just known to everybody. And that was really unfortunate. So I won't even spun up a website that allowed you to quickly go through and see if someone was involved with Celsius Network. And hopefully that does not happen with FTX. So far, I think they're trying to keep those names sealed uh, and to respect people's privacy. It's a very big part of crypto is having that, that privacy ethos contained. But we don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, Wendy, I, I sort of agree with you. But on the other side, I do like kind of err inside of like physical safety here. And I guess it comes down to what the precedent is for the courts, right? If there was a precedent beforehand that the people who are putting this money on the line were able to keep their names sealed and they probably should have their name sealed. But if they went in and signed a check and were willing to uh, put their name next to SBFs and they are okay with their name being out there in the public, then that should be what happens. But we'll have to wait and see. Wendy, I'll boot it over to you though. Or Zach, actually, give it over to you. Yeah, Zach, then me. I was going to say, just 2 p.m. Eastern, going to be a lot of eyes on that courtroom here in the Southern District of New York. It'll be interesting to see if that not guilty plea as reported ultimately does get submitted or if some deal has been struck in which the best course of action would be to plead guilty. I don't know. We think that not guilty is probably what's going to be submitted, but you can bet there's going to be a lot of information coming out of that courthouse at 2 p.m. today. Wendy, what are your last thoughts on this one before we change gears? My last thoughts on it, of course, since we're talking about SBF, we have to segue over to Solana and, of course, meme coins. Why wouldn't we do so? It just keeps getting better and better. So. Solana price gains as Dogcoin bonk fires up community interest. One of the things I want to say before we even start talking about this, we are in a bear market, you guys. Please do not chase green candles. If this is something that you did not get airdropped, you may want to sit on the sidelines. It is very, very risky to start dumping capital. And if you do decide to start dumping capital in, please use disposable income, not financial advice, but please be careful out there. Anyways, Solana has been on the decline since SBF was a predominant backer because we all know that FTX, Alameda, all of those guys were kind of involved in that. And I still, disclosure, I have a moon bag of Solana, some Solana NFTs. 
And I will continue to hold that throughout this bear market because it's a moon bag. You never know. No risk for me. But Solana tokens have gained over 8% in the past 24 hours. And Solana got back up from under $10 back to 11 on Tuesday, following nearly nine straight days of losses due to close leaks with SBF and Alameda. And now price recovery came in after a spike in interest among the Solana community for bonk. <laughs> Will, since you're making a face, you got to take this. Another meme coin, another S coin. Is this a real community token? Is this thing going to be okay? I mean, or is this just a... Yeah. Yeah. I think your, uh, your trail out there sort of indicates where the story is going to go. I mean, I learned about Bonk Token about 15 minutes ago, and I assume most people who have airdropped it also learned about it maybe within the last 72 hours. So there's not really necessarily much of a story here besides another token is just spun up on a contract, and then it's airdropped to a bunch of people and has value because it has value somehow, and people are willing to purchase it and sell it more or less are going to be selling on top of each other. So if you look at the chart there, you do see that it's going up and to the right. But what often happens here in these cases is you have a new token introduced, it gets airdropped to a lot of people. There's some notion of utility that they're trying to sell you. And then within a few days, uh, there is a nice little turkey drop and the price of the token goes to zero and doesn't really move from there. So I'm not saying that's going to happen, but historically that's what happens with all these airdrops. Now for Solana, which I think is the bigger story here, we should really pay, be paying attention to. Solana is down quite a bit for a few reasons. One, its thesis running against Ethereum has not really worked out. Ethereum completed a lot of the things on its roadmap they need to do, like the merge. Ethereum has also had a pretty strong price corresponding to like different tokens, where it's only dropped about 70% versus a lot of other tokens that are down 95%. So Ethereum has held really well. And the second bit about that is FTX and FTX, or SBF and FTX, excuse me. And the relationship there between the Solana Foundation, Solana developers, and FTX. That unwound back in November. And we actually look at the price chart. We'll see in early November, the price of Solana dropped tremendously when FTX crashed. A lot of that was because FTX actually sold off a lot of uh, its Solana reserves, or I should say Alameda Research at the time, sold a lot of its Solana to defend its own token, FTT. But it's also because the relationship between Solana and FTX is widely known. And a lot of people became bearish on the project after that. So Solana has a lot of ground to make, and I don't think a meme token being airdropped to the community is going to resolve that. Zach, over to you. Yeah, I think the bigger point there is absolutely spot on. The alt L1 thesis, right, that emerged out of the last bull cycle, Solunavax, right? Solana, Terra, Avax, the thesis being that these speedy, cheap, alternate layer one blockchains that can do things like Ethereum, but potentially faster and more cheaply, that those would rise in prominence. It seems as though if Ethereum ends up transitioning, we've seen the transition to proof of stake, additional things are in the roadmap that'll make it easier, cheaper, quicker, faster, all the stuff that all L1s sought to promise, right? So I think the alt L1 thesis is very much in question, certainly here in the bear market and absolutely for the next time things turn around, right? Are these all L1s going to emerge? You saw like Aptos and Sui emerge at potentially the worst possible time for these all L1s, right? They emerged into the depths of this winter. Can they find their feet and find a value proposition that will make it stand out from a potentially stronger Ethereum? And I think that is the big question that a lot of investors are going to be thinking about going forward. And whether or not you know, this short-term blip is ultimately seen in the long run probably won't be. I think that's something that people are probably rightly asking here as well. Is this just a short-term little price surge? Or is this going to, like I don't know, drive utility across the lawn more broadly? I don't know. I think the all L1 story is definitely 
the more interesting story. But Bonk, it's a nice name. We like it. Bonk. It is a nice name. It's fun. One of, Bonk. One of the things I want to chime in and say is that we are in a bear market. So most projects are down like 70 to 95% anyways. And Solana is down equally as much. We didn't see a full retrace with it. So it does, to me, as a trader, that does show some sort of strength. But at the same time, we have so much information that's going to be released probably about Solana, um, especially with SBF and Cord and everything that's going on with FTX and Alameda, that it, to me, it's still a very, very risky investment. I do hope that it does okay, considering how many people built their projects on top of it and the big NFT community they have. But at the same time, price-wise, it's still down significantly, just like every other project. Like Anything that's up right now in a market like this is generally a red flag for me. Red flags, don't go chasing green candles. It's a TLC remix that we're going to do I, one day. I, I was just going to say that we're old. <laughs> Love that. Love TLC. Well, don't go chasing waterfalls. Will, that was a song from the 90s. You may have been young at the time. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. For in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. And welcome back to The Hash. There was a hack this last weekend on Luke Dasher, one of the longest contributing Bitcoin core developers. According to Luke Dasher's Twitter account, which also might be compromised, he lost about 200 Bitcoin worth about $3.5 million after his PGP key was compromised, along with a few other servers that he currently codes on top of. This is a pretty big story within the Bitcoin community for a few reasons. First of all, because of the ethos of self-custody that has been pushed around a lot over the last few months due to the, uh, a bunch of different collapses of exchanges and lending service providers. A lot of Bitcoin maximalists say, hey, you need to hold your own coins. Well, then we have a Bitcoin core contributor who does hold his own coins, lose them all. And if he can't hold them, who can? That was the question that was going around Twitter right now. Zach, I'm going to throw this one over to you. This was pretty big news within the Bitcoin community. want to get your take on it. Yeah, this is really rough. I mean, I think we talk about the trade-offs, right, of self-custody versus taking on, you know, custodial risk with exchanges that may be doing bad things with your money. And it's certainly, you know, worth restating. Self-custody is a great option for many folks, but it certainly comes with a, a set of trade-offs. And I think that people need to be aware of that. I think these examples are really illuminating for some of the scary aspects around self-custody that really honestly scare people off in the space. If this guy can be you know, befallen by this significant hack, then you can bet, you know, Joe Schmo, random new user may also feel that he can fall victim to the same thing. It is pretty scary to think of, uh, of this. This is a substantial sum, probably wasn't worth as much as when he acquired these Bitcoins, but still it's appreciated in value significantly over time. And this is something that I think is really one of those, again, those anti-FOMO stories, right? Those, oh, the hard drive is stuck in the dump and I go to the dump every day trying to dig it out to reclaim my, my lost fortune. This is some of the scary stuff that I think from a user experience perspective really scares people away from crypto as a whole. And I think it is pretty, pretty scary. And I think my thoughts are go out to Luke here in this instance. This is someone who's contributed significantly to the Bitcoin community for a long time. And now he's in a bad spot. So first, first of all, just being empathetic there. It's scary that this can happen. 
Wendy, I'm tossing it to you. I feel so bad for him, but, and I can relate to this on a smaller scale. I was once using this wallet, um, I think it was in 2018 and they ended up going under and because they went under, I wouldn't, I didn't, wasn't able to have access. Like even with my private keys, I wasn't able to get my crypto because it was an app. It was just a hot mess. It was absolutely terrible. I felt really, really bad. It was, I think it was on the lower end of five figures, which for me at that time was like a lot, a lot of money. So I can definitely relate. And I think that I think we're in a very hard time right now, especially because if you read the Bitcoin white paper, it really talks about self-sovereignty. It talks about personal responsibility and it, you know, really emphasizes the importance of removing the middleman. We remove the middleman because we want to have freedom. We want to have self-sovereignty. But at the same time, we also still have to rely on ourselves to be emotionally responsible and not make bad choices. Whether this was a bad choice that this person made, it's unclear. It's just humans make mistakes. And can we come up with a solution that works for the masses so people's crypto is custodied? I know on TikTok, I posted something about FDI insurance, how big of a scam it is because there's really not enough money on hand just in case there is a bank run or to kind of compensate everybody. So people are always like, yeah, I trust Fiat. Fiat is way better. It's safer. I have FDI insurance. But in reality, FDI insurance is kind of like a marketing scheme, I feel like, for the banks to get you to deposit your money so that they can take your money and loan it out. So is there a solution for this? I think the solution will come out in the future when we're able to create better tools for people, especially for people who aren't tech savvy. Even in 2023, Bitcoin is still pretty hard to use. Like storing your keys is hard to use. There's so many people that have been in the space for so long that have lost their control to their keys, lost their Bitcoin. And it's just really sad. And I hope that we can build better protocols so people don't get hurt and stuff like that. Will? Yeah, I'll dig into the story a little bit more because there's definitely more in this than just meets the eye at the first place, right? So Luke Dash Jr. is one of the longest contributing Bitcoin core developers out there. So you'd expect him to have very good privacy or a very good understanding of how to hold cryptographic keys. And it is pretty simple at this point for Bitcoin, right? You just have like a ledger, a treasure to store your seed phrase correctly on like physical paper, or maybe you like encrypt it on a computer and then you store that somewhere. A few different ways to do it. So it was confusing to see Luke get caught up in this. Also confusing the fact that he had hot wallets and cold wallets. Hot wallets are normally connected to the internet. Cold wallets are air gapped, meaning that they are not touching the internet at all. They're away from a machine. And that, that was, those were also compromised here. Like it was not just the hot wallets, it was also the cold wallets that were swept. And it was confusing to Luke as well. And if you saw, his Twitter thread, which blew up, I think it went viral this last weekend. You see that he was reaching out to the FBI for people to get in contact. He was asking questions. He didn't know how this occurred. So we're still waiting for a postmortem on what exactly occurred. It did cause a lot of fud out there on what was going on with Bitcoin, a lot of confusion out there. I'm waiting to see what the actual postmortem says about this. I think there should be one. It's more than likely that over a few months that someone was just looking at his setup, looking at a security setup, because he is a pretty public figure and was able to figure out where there's some cracks in it and then was able to exploit it. Last thing that's worth bringing up on this, uh, we also have a tweet we can throw up really quick to look at Luke Dasher's initial tweet that came out over this weekend. Another thing to bring up really quick is CZ from Binance tweeting in on this action, a nice little PR move from our boy CZ who said, hey, if these Bitcoins come across our exchange, we will freeze them and try to return them to you. Zach, I want to get your take on that. I feel like that was a pretty savvy PR move from CZ. It was a double, double savvy, a little bit opportunistic because he had also been sort of championing the fact that 99% of users can't self-custody their coins and you, know, you should be comfortable with some of the risks of you know, entrusting your Bitcoin with an exchange. I happen to run the largest exchange in the world. Why would I share that opinion? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. 
So he was sort of like trying to maybe do PR for both things, right? Uh, hey, I'm a good guy. We'll freeze the funds. Oh, by the way, self-custody isn't always all that great. Come custody your assets with us. So uh, yeah, nice, bit opportunistic. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Wendy, I'll toss it to you. I think it was a good marketing move, but at the same time, like stuff like this is super, super sensitive. And if you're going to talk about it, like we talked, we covered this on my show yesterday and we were just very sensitive about the situation because it's not fun. It's not fun to lose money. I've lost so much money in crypto on so many centralized exchanges, issues with wallets, et cetera. It's just not a good feeling. And I get like, I understand CZ's point that exchanges can be safer in some cases because humans make mistakes. Like the amount of stuff I hear from my TikTokers about their self-custody fails is absolutely crazy. So I'm hoping that we can come up with better systems put in place. And I hope that we can come up with some sort of FDIC-like insurance for centralized exchanges. I don't know what the solution is. I just know that we do have to build something really great for next cycle because we're going to get a lot more people coming in. We've already got a lot of people coming in with NFTs, et cetera. And as you guys see, Board Ape Yacht Club holders, they get hacked, compromised all the time. Just a really sad thing. And I don't know. CZIC has a nice ring to it. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 